Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and it's January the 10th, 2007 Tonight I'll be playing a portion of yesterday's show the television show Talawi uh, coming out of Louisiana My end here when I was doing this show you should realize is a bit different I'm on the telephone line and because of the switching problems in the studio I couldn't hear the guest questions I mean, this is awfully time consuming uh, just to do an hour's program um, I'll try to mix my end of, of the vocal with the visual beamed out from Talawi's source put them together and come up with a better uh, audio of the whole thing but uh, as I say, bear in mind because of the switching problems in the studio when the guests come on I can't hear exactly what they're actually, usually I don't hear them at all uh, what they're saying or, or the questions they're asking is sort of relayed to me by the host so it's a bit haphazard and that's just the way the live shows sometimes go especially when you're doing things by phone so bear with me and if you listen and learn and let's see what happens And welcome to Current Issues. I'm your host, Hisham Tilawi. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, again, we're going to have a full night. George Bush wants to send 20 more thousand of our troops to Iraq. Bush says wants to send 20,000. Ted Kennedy says on my dead body. George Bush says, have it your way. So, I guess 20,000 more will uh, take care of the problem. Isn't it amazing that Pat Buchanan has, uh, he's against it, conservative. But at the same time, Joseph Liberman, he's for it. He's saying, we need to send 20,000. Now, why do you think that is? The next war, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be with Iran, of course. But the one that's going to take us over there, it's not going to be our decision, but the Israelis' decision. So now, we don't just, in the first hour or in the first war they duped us into going to war against Iraq because it was good for Israel it's something that Israel wanted to destroy Iraq we have went through this many of times and we explained to you it's a plan that has been in the works for over 25 years now Israel had basically decided that it could not destroy the Arab countries militarily they just don't have enough people 
So they thought about, let's go ahead and destroy the Arab countries from within. And that's exactly what we saw happen in Iraq. The United States goes out there, takes out the uh, Saddam regime, and the civil war starts in the country, which is something that the Israelis have planned and said it will happen. And we will discuss this more in the following uh, weeks. We'll show you the documents. We'll show you the detailed documents and the people who worked on it. And now, Iran. Israel is training its pilots to destroy the Iranian nuclear facility, one of them. They're going to use nuclear bombs, nuclear missiles. They've been training. They have done two missions, training missions to Gibraltar, about 2,000 miles away. That's about the same distance to, uh, from Israel to Iran. What they're planning on doing is going over the facility, throw some conventional missiles to dig trenches and tunnels, and then come back with nuclear bombs, nuclear missiles to explode underneath the facility and supposedly destroy it. So in theory, they probably think they can do it, but if they miss, then these nuclear bombs going to be going all over the place over there in Iran. And of course, we have no choice but to enter into a war with Iran. Which is, I mean, it's not the end of the world. You know, Israel wants to hit Iran because Israel was defeated by Hezbollah, who was supported by Iran. And uh, basically, now Israel wants to tell Iran that we can come to you. The problem with that, ladies and gentlemen, is if we, we have no choice. We are there. We have 140,000 troops, and then we are sending an, uh, another 20, which is probably a drop in the bucket for what we really need in Iraq because 20,000 troops is not really going to do much difference in Iraq. So, the next war with Iran, and Iran is not, you see, they're going to probably start the war drums, beating the war drums on Iran and want to make Iran another monster just like they did with Saddam Hussein with the weapons of mass destruction. Now they go on to tell you that Iran with its nuclear, and by the way, they don't even have nuclear bomb. If they start working on it, they will probably get one in about 10 years. So Israel wants, but Israel doesn't want to destroy Iran because of the threat of nuclear bomb. Israel has 400 nuclear bombs. So what one nuclear bomb would do if Iran has it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Is Iran a threat to us? No, they're not. No, they're not. Iran's economy, ladies and gentlemen, is about 2% of our economy. Their air force is probably one thousandth of our air force. 
they, they really hardly have any air force to speak of. Their navy, again, they hardly have any to speak of. But if we do go to Iran, definitely, definitely, there's no way that we can win a war. We can go and destroy and kill people. And you see, that's, that's the thing, is for the last 20 years with Nintendos and Xbox and, and Playstations, our boys that are fighting there spent their childhood either behind a Nintendo, Xbox, or Playstation, killing people on the screen and winning. And that's the society that we have right now. Killing people is nothing. And it's acceptable. It is becoming socially acceptable in our society. That's the society we are raising. We killed 65,000 people, 650,000 people in Iraq. 23,000 civilian, Iraqi civilians died last year. 23,000 Iraqi civilians. Push a button, missiles go off, and we kill a lot of people. That's the society we have produced. So we go to Iran. Israel probably will attack Iran, and it will drag us into this. So Israel is making our decision to go to war. It's making that decision up for us. Because Israel will drag us into a war with Iran. That's exactly what is happening. That's why Joseph Lieberman, the Jewish senator, who is pro-Israel, strongly pro-Israel, thinks that we should send more troops over there. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know what you think about it. Our economy is, doing, is going down the drain big time. But uh, my guest in the first hour, Alan Watt, he has been on the program before. Alan is a long-term researcher into the forces behind the major changes in historical development. Alan's going to explain to us how government come about, the history of these political governments, the political decisions, who are the people on top. Do we have democracy? Do we have freedom to choose our destiny? Do you have the freedom to choose your own destiny and the destiny of your children? I think these are extremely serious questions that you do need to have the answers to. And Alan will shed some light on that. And Alan's going to explain to us the relationship between all these powers. You know, you hear about Zionism. You hear about all these forces that are working behind the scenes, behind government. You know, who made the decision to kill Saddam Hussein? Don't ever think that that decision was just 
a decision that was made in Baghdad. No. International events don't happen that way. There are certain players behind the scene who design all these. They are writing the script. They are writing the script of this long journey into the unknown. And I'm becoming, I'm beginning to really believe that I don't really think they know where we are headed. I believe we have um, Alan with us. Good evening, Alan. Yes. Uh, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. Um, Alan, uh, I know you have a lot and you've done a lot of research, but uh, I'm going to try. I mean, there's so much I can talk to you for probably 24 hours straight, and we will not even finish one subject. But I want to try to condense what we want to talk about into current events and how did we get here. Be before, we go, uh, uh, before we go there, I want you to tell me, I know you have mentioned uh, about the society, and I mentioned some of this in my opening. Um, hello, your, your signal is so faint I can't, I can't understand. Okay, I hear you fine. Can you hear me okay? Uh, a little bit better, yeah. Yeah, you died away completely there. What about now? It's uh, just audible. That's just audible, yeah. Alan? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit better. Yeah, That's but I can't better. hear him. Okay. Uh -huh. Alan? Yeah. Yes. Okay, can you hear me okay? That, that's a bit better if it stays at least that level, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, you're not on a cell phone, are you? No. Okay. Uh, this is much better now if we can just keep it that way. Um, Alan, what I, what I asked you is, I know you have written about the society that we have now and you very much use the analogy of the uh, Nintendo and the PlayStations that we that killing to our society is is not really you know people kill people it, it doesn't really phase anyone anymore and we accept it. Can you tell me how did you uh, come up with that conclusion and how did we get to, uh, uh, this way? It was by understanding that the world doesn't unfold by uh, happenstance and that uh, the future is always planned out by those who control the present. That's always been the way in a, a financial system of economics. Uh, those in power maintain power by planning the future and directing the future always. And culture itself is an art form. The creation of culture, the gradual changing of culture is an art form which um, you can you can find in the writings of the Greek philosophers they understood this perfectly how to alter and radically alter cultures without even the people or the generations involved noticing the changes uh, but the big um, thing came out with the, the communists in the Soviet era they talked about this openly at the Comintern meetings the international communist meetings and Beria, who was head of the police, the secret police at the time, 
the NKVD in the earlier part of the 1920s, 30s, talked about the ability at that time to alter the direction of change in culture and nations. Every five years, they could implement great changes by indoctrination of the children. And uh, it was to be done, done through the school system and a uniform international educational act which would be proposed through the, through the League of Nations, which was the precursor of the United Nations. Um, Britain was heavily experimenting in the same region, and uh, Lord Bertrand Russell set up experimental schools to see if he could radically alter cultural change. And pretty well, it's down to a scientific basis now, even Beria in Russia said that at that time it was five years to make uh, massive changes where it used to take 70 years, a whole generation. They could, they could actually upgrade culture every five years and eventually he said through the use of science it can be done uh, every single year. What he meant by that was a child going into kindergarten today, this year, will be taught slightly ahead of the one that was taught last year for all the changes he will experience in his life growing up. He'll think it's all normal because he's been given the basis of these possibilities in kindergarten. So these are just simply scientific techniques, psychological systems, which are well understood. And we find that when it comes to killing um, in the American Civil War, after some of the biggest battles, they, they found only about 15% of the soldiers on the battlefield who were dead had actually fired their rifles at an enemy. And what they realized is it's not in the nature of man to naturally kill anyone else. And from then on, they developed departments of warfare that would overcome this tendency not to kill people. And at the time, they gave early forms of training prior to the video games coming in. They had earlier forms of training to dehumanize, depersonalize an enemy uh, so that you would kill them automatically. When the video games came in, they were first used for military purposes to do just that. And the whole idea was when you grew up, um, playing these games, you would no longer see that person at the other end of that rifle barrel as a person. You see them simply as a target that must be eliminated so that you can get to your eventual uh, goal. And that's been very, very successful. Okay. Um, so, now, cutting through the metrics, and that's the, the, the name of your website and the programs that you are trying to teach people. Now, metrics is, is, a, is a very complicated system, or could be a very complicated system. Now, how, to tell me, let's explain to our viewers, what is it exactly you do, and uh, where did the name Cutting Through the Metrics come from? What is it you're trying to tell people? Well, the matrix really is an old philosophical idea of uh, the origination of all thoughts, all humanity, all system. In other words, it's the mother of everything that we know. It's the, the symbol of where everything comes from. Uh, because we're not living um, by happenstance. Our cultures are there not by happenstance. You must realize that those who understand the matrix system that give you your reality, they, they plan the events that will happen in your life, the major events, the wars, and it's in an intergenerational plan. They know, you see, the power has always known that, that Joe Average simply wants to get married, have some children, and work, and, and live happily. 
Um, and if he does that, he isn't planning a future, really. Whereas those in power understand that they work inter- intergenerationally in maybe 100-year, 200-year plans towards certain goals. And this has been ongoing since at least the 1500s. Yeah, you can find this in the writings of John Dee, who was an advisor to, to the Queen Elizabeth I court. He talked about the ability to project into the future a, a British system of dominance over the world. So what are some of the parameters in this, mit- in, 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 in this matrix? Can you tell me, like, what are we looking at here that are being combined together and affecting each other? What are the forces here? The forces really are, are grabbing children um, in early education called kindergarten. Um, uh, that was the, the main thrust of it. You see, Bertrand Russell, who was our British lord, and he was given full permission by the British, not just the government, by, but by those above the government, the establishment of Britain, to do these experiments. And he was talking on behalf of the British elite, the establishment. He said, we had always thought that eventually for our perfect utopia, we would have to remove the children from the parents at birth raise them by the state so that no, not their mother nor their father, and so they would not have be contaminated with the morals or old-fashioned ideas of their parents. But he said, now that we have tried through kindergarten, he said, through a scientific indoctrination, he said, we can take the child for two or three hours per day and do it so effectively uh, that whatever parental input for value systems they will try, it will be of no effect. He says, therefore, it's much more economically feasible to leave them with the parents who are simply just the financial caretakers of the child. We shall give them their values. This has been done. This has been done, you see, in most countries. You also believe that there is a programming going on in the world, and you're trying to deprogram people... um, Who's doing the programming and how are they doing it? What are the methods they're using to uh, to program people with? Well, once again, it's 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 a form of uh, uh, everything's been programmed towards since at least 1950. It's been programmed towards a globalized society, and in the last 20 years, it's been pushing and pushing towards a much more broken down, if you like, or or, or micromanaged world society. Every country has the same laws passed at the same time towards the system. But what what methods? Are they using like physical methods, uh, chemical methods? Uh, How are they doing this programming? It's all of that. They're using the physical, uh, psychological sciences are used tremendously. Uh, Psychology truly understands the milestones of life, what you go through, male, female all the different age groups, and they can manage them. They, they cater to each age group. Uh, Russell also talked about bringing in the experts in that field, and at that time the experts were uh, Madison Avenue, the big advertisers, because um, advertisers understand the science of the mind. Uh, backed up by that, the media was to take over with television. Uh, television from its beginning uh, has a flicker rate which coincides with uh, the brain cycles um, just under the conscious level. And that's been, they knew this at the very beginning, and I have no doubt it was made to be this way. 
and you create a form of hypnosis with television. That's why young children who are now babysat by television and being programmed by their cartoons with their new values, um, they sit with their mouths wide open. They don't hear their parents talk to them. They're hypnotized. So that was another part of it. What about the, uh, you thinking that uh, through electromagnetic waves, uh, yeah. is that happening? That is happening now, and in fact, uh, if you remember back when the, when the, the U.S. government uh, burned down all the people in the Waco church uh, incident, uh, a documentary was done on Canada where two science fiction writers, which doesn't surprise me because they're part of it, they give us our predictive programming, they brought over a specialist from the Soviet Union or Russia. And this specialist uh, had equipment with him that, that he was going to use at Waco, which would literally paralyze the minds of those inside the farmhouse. Uh, he got down to there, but uh, they killed them before it started, so they didn't have to use it. But he did say on t national television in Canada, he said every schoolroom in the Soviet system had one of these boxes on its desk. And he said it made the, the children very docile, and it was easy to basically download information into their minds without question. Okay. What about chemtrails? Uh, you also think that they might be using chemtrails uh, through this programming? I have no doubt on that. Um, the treaty that was signed at the United Nations in the late 70s on, on weather warfare, um, which had in it the creation of earthquakes, famines, droughts, hurricanes, and tornadoes, um, also talked about the ability to, to put a secondary signal on the harp technology and the secondary signal could literally uh, either create thoughts in your head so that you could hear them or the easiest thing they could do by simply adjusting the frequency slightly which again is within the brainwave capacity uh, area uh, is, is create mood alterations, passivity or aggression um, or depression and they tested this out on the people of Maine Maine had a lawsuit in against the U.S. government because they found out they were the guinea pigs for HARP. And the, the, the social services, the police, uh, were, were all, uh, the doctor's offices, they were monitoring the population and sending all the data back to the U.S. government. And they, they said that the suicide rate uh, skyrocketed, quadrupled in a matter of a few days, uh, especially amongst the young. Uh, domesticated animals were biting their owners. Even cattle were going crazy. And then, of course, when they altered the frequency, they became very, very passive and things melted out. So they're using this on the public today. The spraying was suggested by the inventor of the H-bomb uh, back in the 50s. Uh, he said uh, we could uh, create an electromagnetic um, shield, basically, around the planet uh, with, with spraying uh, chemicals containing aluminum oxide, barium and other metals it says this would be a great conductor and if used with the EMP technology it could basically um, carry these thoughts or these, these impressions to people worldwide if need be so this is old stuff okay if anyone hears you speaking tonight they're going to think you're crazy uh, yeah. who are these people that are doing this uh, well we have a world government we've had a world government for, before I was born 
And that's the trick of it. The, the, the governments you see and vote for are just the show governments. Um, it, it was easy to see this in Britain. Yeah. Does that explain why the, the United States went to war against Iraq when it was not in its own best interest? Uh, interest? Yes, oh yes, absolutely. Um, Carl Quigley, Professor Carl Quigley pointed, now he was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. He had access to the archives and he wrote about it. And one of his books called The Anglo-American Establishment, he touches on uh, the secret societies that were formed to put this whole agenda forward of world domination and, and covered the Middle East in it too uh, with, the, with the Milner group, Lord Milner, Alfred Milner, and the Rhodes Foundations. Out of that came the Royal Institute of International Affairs and its American branch called the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, these were all to work towards global um, uh, domination by a world uh, parliament. And they said that any country that wouldn't join it would simply have to be either eradicated or if they wouldn't get paid off and brought into it, uh, they would be forced into it. So this is an ongoing agenda. And he goes through all the names and the big families in the United States who are still connected with, with the, this agenda. Okay. Now, you, you talked about Rumsfeld being part of the, uh, the, the operation which uh, basically gave chemical weapons to what Saddam Hussein. Yes, they've had documentaries on that in most countries, probably outside the United States. But back in the, the 70s, he was the leg man. He went over. He was the hero bringing Saddam close to the West. And he was giving them all the, all the weaponry to use to fight Iran at the time. Um, and the gas, of course, which was eventually used on Iran. He was the leg boy. And if you go into his history, Rumsfeld has always been involved in the, in the, in the chemical industry and the chemical warfare industry as well. Uh, even with the as aspartame uh, sugar substitute, which is pretty lethal stuff, uh, he was the CEO of the company that made it, and he was the man in politics who rammed it through and got it through. So this man has always been involved with various forms of poisons, shall we say. Now, aspartame, uh, China uh, actually have stopped all companies who are producing it, but why the United States uh, haven't taken uh, a decision on that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, you've got to be able to look at this from an enemy's perspective, an enemy who runs the world, an enemy who knows the agenda, and they have published it if we want to read about it. They, they themselves have published it in their own books. You would use all means at your disposal to bring about a docile people uh, I call it the, the, the DS syndrome, domesticated syndrome, uh, a docile people while you're bringing about the greatest changes. And we, we will be going through the greatest changes into this new world system where everything is to be new. Uh, there's to be no uh, free will in anything. It's a, a world of political correctness and experts running your lives. So you would bring, uh, you, would, you would make the people as docile as possible by using every weapon at your disposal as you do it, as you bring them through it. And the people are not responding to all the things that have happened since at least 9-11. They're not responding the way they should be. Okay. Uh, I have a question from uh, one of the viewers um, through email. Uh, she wants to know 
what is the relationship between the Zionists and the Vatican? Uh, have you done any search on that? Yeah, you, you, you'll find that all the big power brokers where you have money and religion have always been in cahoots. Uh, you talk about big money controlling vast amounts of people. Uh, you, have, see, you cannot be independent in this day and age. Uh, and get away with it. Uh, any organization can be infiltrated with those who literally train spies. It's easy to do. And the Vatican, as you know, is pretty quiet on most things. They don't come out and tell their vast millions what's going on in the world. They, they don't talk about the aerial spraying. Uh, they don't talk about the, the world global society um, and, and the countries that must be demolished to, to bring it about. Now, do you know any, any of these countries that must be demolished to bring this about? Oh, yes. Oh, you can go back to this agenda, as I say, into the, the writings of John Stuart Mill, who was one of the top economists for the British government. More than just an economist, uh, he, he brought a form of philosophy that already existed, very Darwinian in its sense, of survival of the fittest. And, and in the 1700s, they'd already mapped out uh, which races would be allowed to survive coming into the, 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 the 20th and 21st century. And they said in their own writings that those who, who could not adapt must perish, must perish because it would cause havoc otherwise in, amongst the new society that would arise. So this has always been their philosophy. If you don't join them, they simply eliminate you. It's to be run on efficiency and economics, that's what they say, yeah. Where does England and the royal family fit in all this, uh, in this pyramid? Well, as I say, um, there's a great pretense in Britain that you have a, a democratic system. And again, that's a front show for the public. When you go back into history and you find lords and barons and so on all writing about this agenda back uh, as far as the 1500s, and you follow it right through, you realize, and especially with the setting up of the, the, Alf, the Alfred Milner group, uh, round tables which joined the Cecil Rhodes group, um, and the backing and the charters they were given by the crown of England, uh, what you find is they are really a front for the crown of England. They have the blessings of the elite of England, these organizations. And it's a great, great way to get the elite off the hook by claiming and by putting it through Parliament and getting Parliament to do the dirty work and taking the heat. But in reality, uh, the world is run by those who are never elected, and most of them aren't even visible to the public's eye. Okay. Alan, stay with me. We're going to the phones with James on one. Go ahead, James. James, you're on. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh... I have a question um, with you know about the mind control and the electromagnet or whatever. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, we don't teach our children to go strap explosives on their bodies and uh, blow up innocent people on. Okay, going with Tom on two. Go ahead, Tom. Oh yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm a Okay, I'm going to turn my TV down. Well, look, I'm, I'm a little bit off topic, but I wanted to ask you about your, your thoughts and your opinion about oil. Because okay. I'm thinking about, like, security long-term for the United States, our energy needs. When we're looking at Iran and Iraq and Kuwait 
and the United Arab Emirates uh, sitting and Saudi Arabia, of course, sitting on top of the majority of the oil, uh, the world's oil reserves, and the United States, our energy needs in the future, and also uh, Japan and Europe, and then India and China, and all, all of these countries competing for limited resources. Why shouldn't the United States, thinking um, militarily and strategically for our own security, uh, based on the Carter Doctrine of, of ensuring that we have the flow of oil because it does affect our national security, why shouldn't we go into the Middle East, into Iraq and Iran, and, and try to control the situation? Now, let me, let me ask you this, and I'm going to have uh, Alan respond to that. Let me ask you this. Um, if, if your neighbor has more money than you do and you don't have that money, why don't you go to your neighbor's calendar and get the money because it's your security and it's your uh, uh, interest? Uh, that analogy you just did, by the way, uh, that's exactly what that analogy is. Now, the, the Carter Doctrine, as a matter of fact, we did have something uh, to protect our interests, which is, the, like you said, the, the, the Carter's Doctrine. Now, the Carter's Doctrine said that the oil of the Middle East is a national interest of the United States, and we will use any force, even militarily, to protect that vital interest. And so there is a policy, and the whole world have basically understood that policy, and, and all uh, countries, major countries and superpowers, of course we are the only superpower now, and uh, no one was threatening the oil. Uh, we were not deprived of that oil, even when we had Saddam under 12 years of embargo and siege, we were getting 15% of our oil from Saddam, so, uh, and also we have vast resources of oil uh, in, uh, in Alaska. We just don't want to tap into that. Uh, another thing, you know, we're not adopting, uh, if, you know, we, we would rather go and kill people in the Middle East and steal their oil than adopting an energy policy that will basically share the resources of the oil with the rest of the world. But no, we want to go there, and by the way, we're not there for oil, and I'll let Alan uh, um, continue on this one. Your comment, Alan? Yes, uh, Winston Churchill himself, after um, Lord Curzon was put into, not just Curzon, there was also uh, Sir, Sir Ronald Storrs, he, he was made uh, governor, lieutenant governor of Palestine in the early 1920s. Uh, Winston Churchill was involved in the drafting up of the, the new countries, uh, drawing the lines in the sand and saying, you're now this country and you're now that country. But he said in his own memoirs in, in the late 1920s uh, that eventually they would have to go into Iraq because uh, of uh, all the oil that, that was in its northern, northern region. Yeah. So they had this plan uh, a long time ago that they would have to go in and, and take that. It's not so a matter that they need the oil. It's a matter that you had a few families running the world and they must collect all energy supplies to run the world. They have no intention of losing power by sharing it with anyone. Okay. Um, uh, Tom, you have anything else? Well, yeah, I just one more thing that I wanted to say. You, you mentioned about um, killing people um, because we don't want to change our energy policy. And I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but uh, I don't like the idea of, of innocent people being killed 
in, in geopolitics. I mean, you know, we're here and we're comfortable and we don't see what's going on over in Iraq. But you said what's wrong with us going there, killing them and getting their oil because well, we need the energy. So, well, I mean... Okay. Well, let me qualify that and just say yeah. that um, I, I want our economy to flourish. I want, I want to have good security here in the United States. I want our way of life to continue. I think it's going to take a long time to change our energy policy and in, say, 20 or 30 years, and that in the meantime, I don't want there to be a drastic interruption in the energy flow of oil to the United States. Under any circumstances, that's what you're saying. No, I'm not saying that. I'm, okay, one more thing, and then I'll, I'll hang up. Please. The, the Caspian Sea area, where you have these republics split off from Russia, you know, why shouldn't we go in there and establish military bases there before the Russians do or the Chinese do or somebody else does, and then yeah. they dictate to us about okay. the oil? Very good. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, why don't we just go and put bases and troops all over the uh, the world so we can uh, control it. Uh, Tom, very quick, and I have a lot of questions also from uh, people on the uh, on the Internet. Uh, the, the, the Pope uh, recently had chosen Henry Kissinger to be one of his advisors. Do, do, do you know anything about that? Yes, uh -huh. I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Kissinger, as we know, is, is uh, well, you call him a grey man. He's between the real government and the one that we see. Um, Kissinger knows this agenda. Uh, he's up there with Brzezinski. And uh, uh, Kissinger is one of these eternal men with some life extension, I'm sure. Um, and I thought it's amazing he's been put in charge of a, a, a body that's supposed to help spearhead a global religion for the world. Uh, I think he's the last dark horse that we want to see because he's a, a very dark man indeed, you know. But yeah, it's a strange collusion there between the Vatican uh, and Kissinger. Yeah. I heard this, I was shocked. Let's go to uh, New York with Judy. Go ahead, Judy. Come on. Yes, you're on. Go ahead. Oh, it's a pleasure, Alan. I'm really confused. You said that um, the world is being run by invisible people, and you said the Vatican is invisible. Now, the Zionists are very visible, and many people feel that Israel uh, or the Zionist Jews are manipulating this game. And I'm just wondering if uh, the Zionists are being manipulated by forces such as the Crown or um, something invisible. Okay, who's manipulating who, uh, Alan? The Zionists manipulating the world, or the Zionists being manipulated by these invisible forces? Uh, I'm sure they're all being uh, uh, manipulated. Uh, the, the technique of divide and conquer has been going on forever. And if you read even the setup, when they set up uh, early uh, 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 Israeli occupation uh, into Palestine, you'll find there were so many factions of Zionism. There were spiritual Zionists, in fact, that didn't believe they had the right to take it by force. They were called traitors uh, by the, the political Zionists. Uh, and so there's many different factions involved here. That, uh, they only back each other when, when they think Israel itself is going to be attacked. Um, but they're all being used for other purposes, I'm sure. So, Alan, why do we have a Zionist government in the United States then? Well, that's, I think that's part of the reason. Um, it's so obvious that those who have been chosen to be up front in the public's eye are going to 
cause the ire of the public one day to turn on them. This is standard routine. Uh, you always get your scapegoats in front. The rest of the people behind them who don't even participate take the heat, always. And these guys end up uh, going free. Uh, this is standard. In the, in the high brotherhood of this world, there are no races, there are no creeds, there's only them. They are a race unto themselves. And uh, you're brought into that race by simply uh, showing your cunningness, uh, your ability at the chessboard, you might say, of the world. Uh, that's when you're brought into them, if you're lucky enough to, to be, if that's given to you, yeah, offered. Okay. Um, now, in 1992, uh, Libby and Paul Wolfowitz, they wrote a, um, the, uh, uh, the uh, defense policy guidance, which very much spelled out what we should do in the uh, post-Cold uh, War era. And that policy guidance, which was written by Libby and Wolfowitz, which both of them are Zionist Jews, and... Um, then we have in 2000, we have the, uh, the New American Century, which is basically these players, among others, which 99% of those people who have worked on the New American Century, the project for the New American Century, are basically Zionists and Jews. And what they said we should do, George Bush is basically doing. Now, if we say that they are being manipulated... Mm -hmm. by these invisible forces, it seems like they are at the realm. Oh, yeah. You, you would always put them at the realm. But if you were to really get into or be a, a fly on the wall amongst these boys, you'll find uh, that they themselves belong to a much higher organization than Zionism or any other ism. Uh, they belong to a global elite that already works the world. Yeah. So what you're saying, these, these people actually, what we call Zionists, they are much bigger than Zionists. The true ones, the, yeah, the ones above that. You see, the, the trick in this world is to stand up in the country you were born in and say, I am one of you, and you say all the right things and the people will follow you. That's what you call a good shepherd. It's been used for thousands and thousands of years. And tribal peoples always react the same way. They follow the guy that has, has the ability to vocalize all of their problems and stand up for them. And, and generally what happens is that guy is brought into a much higher organization that pre-existed even thousands of years ago when the Phoenicians were on the go. And he will continue pretending he's one of you as he uses you to the very, very end. That's how nations are built up and used. This is a science, a very old science. Let's go back to the phones with Richard on three. Go ahead, Richard. Hello, doctor. Hi. The reason we went to war with Saddam was not because we couldn't get the oil, but because there was too much oil. Saddam was going to flood the market with it. And the thing is, he was going to commit a big sin. He was going to go and use other currency other than the dollar. And you see, when America was taken off of the gold standard... Now, uh, uh, Richard, uh, other countries are moving into the euro. Right, And exactly. we, have not, we have not sent our troops over there to destroy them. So, um, what about that argument? 
Now, Saddam threatened, and, and by the way, when Saddam threatened, now this thing about flooding uh, the, the, the market with oil, you know oil is very uh, regulated, and there's only certain people who buy oil, and Saddam can flood the market with as much oil as he wants. Uh, that, that oil is not going to be sold. Uh, uh, because it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. So being flooding the, oil, uh, uh, the markets with oil, that does not really, uh, that argument does not fly, but he did threaten to uh, go to the euro instead of the dollar uh, on, right. his, uh, on his oil. Second currency right. is, is based on oil. Right, definitely. But what happened is when uh, uh, he did that right before, I mean, our troops were already on the way to the Middle East to destroy him. Oh, yeah, when yeah. He, when he threatened to do, to do that. And by the way, our currency, it used to be, just, you know, you brought up a point that our currency is backed by oil. It used to be backed by gold until... Uh, back in 1968 or 69, the French cashed in all their dollars and they demanded gold. And uh, we had to give them gold. Uh, I believe it was like one thirty-fifth of a, an ounce of gold for each dollar. And uh, 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 now Nixon, after that, he decided, you know what? We're not going to use gold to back up our uh, dollars because we had printed so many billions of dollars that we don't even have oil to back that up and if everybody has a dollar they're going to cash it in we're not going to have uh, uh, enough gold for people so therefore we basically went to the Arab countries and in 1974 we told them that there's no way on earth that you can sell one barrel of oil if it was not being sold by the dollar and that's how the dollar became the world currency and the, the, the most difficult to, uh, uh, to come in. In the meantime, that allowed us to actually, since we don't have to have gold and we are having a natural resource that belongs to somebody else support and back our dollar, so we flooded the world with dollars. And by the way, that's going to come back and bite us big time when these people start going to the euro and when all these dollars start coming back here, we're going to use them in our fireplaces. Basically, that's what we're going to do with it uh, because what's going to happen is going to send, and it already is, the value of the dollar has been devalued since the war 30%, and you can see that in your grocery store. You know that what the money you used to buy with in the grocery store, it does not even bring you two-thirds of what you used to before the war. Alan, any comments? Yes, it's true. Um, money is the problem uh, with everything, actually. It's not just the love of money, it's money, period. Uh, it's the most unnatural creation, it's a deviant creation. Uh, and because of that, uh, we've been run for thousands of years, and more so since 800 BC when they started to coin money uh, and then give out usury and debt. Uh, money is a problem. Those who have the money, obviously, since the world is run on economic systems, really one big system, then those with the money dictate to the rest of us. Uh, every president, prime minister must go to the world bankers and ask for loans. Uh, well, those, those world bankers, can just one or two of them, can pull the plug on any country and crash you at any time they want. Well, where, where's the freedom of choice there? It's total blackmail. Uh, final comment, go ahead. Yeah, one more thing. Um... When the dollar fails, all other economies will be affected by that. Only two will not be. And those two will be the Russian ruble, 
and the Swiss franc. Probably by that time, everybody will be dumping the dollars at that time. Right, right. I think that's going to be slow. But like I said, at the end, it's going to be us that will be going down the drain. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Okay. Um, so where where's this? All this thing is going to uh, to end. Are we are we reculturizing the world? Uh, we only have two minutes left. Um, uh, what are we going to have? Like one culture in the world? It'll be a brand new culture, a new ultra modern Sovietized culture. The Soviet was the test bed for all of this of political correctness, but it doesn't stop there. Money, remember, is only a con game for the public to believe in. The big boys use it as a tool, as a means to an end. And ultimately, they've said in all their documentation, shortly, shortly in the future, everyone who is allowed to be born will be born with a duty to serve the state. You'll be, you'll be a, a, a de facto slave. Money is only a tool. Are you saying we're going to be just like zombies, like we used to see uh, in those, uh, you know, galaxy movies where, you know, you have thousands of people, uh, everyone is just performing a particular job, and there's no, there's no uh, much, not much emotions going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just everyone does what he's told to do, and that's it. Yeah. Is that what it's going to be? We shall actually be programmed for the tasks we perform, and just like a robot, and that's only one stage until they eventually create from scratch uh, human beings, purpose made for the task, and that's coming. They've written about this in the high scientific books. They've had world meetings on implants, brain implants, uh, which will become mandatory eventually, and, and of course the, the recreation of life for purpose made tasks. Alan, uh, okay, we have a couple of seconds. Uh, tell our viewers how they can uh, get your DVDs and the information you're working on. Uh, look into the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com uh, for all the stuff that I have for free download and to purchase. Very good. Thank you, sir, for coming on the program. I only have time to say thanks, and we'll have you back here soon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.